it's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now? at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. In the midst of it. Well, good evening, North Carolina, and thank you for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewises. This is Linda Lewis. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Well, Doug, Deborah, it certainly was quite an exciting week this past week. A lot of excitement, for sure. In the news and in the market. But things did close up, didn't they? Yeah, you know, it's funny because we're still at 20,800 and change. Uh, The markets indeed were volatile, very volatile because of, I would say, more political events because that's what dominated the headlines. On Wednesday, the revelations related to President Trump's dismissal of FBI Director James Comey unnerved investors, and so we had a 373-point drop in the Dow Jones, and that indeed was the index's largest decline in more than eight months. But then markets recovered a large portion of that on Thursday, and then on Friday as economic data provided some reassurance of favorable business conditions, things looked good again. Jobless claims, which dropped really to near-record lows, point to tight labor markets and rising wages, continued improvement in factory activity, accelerating manufacturing activity, an increase in spending on major equipment purchases, all underscore growing confidence in the economic outlook. Rising expectations for global GDP expansion, including Europe, Japan, and China, are also providing support for corporate growth plans, even as the embattled White House's pro-growth agenda may be on on hold for the time being. But you know, it's a funny thing. Strange as it sounds, placid trading has turned ominous for some investors, highlighting fears that maybe a years-long advance in stock and bond prices obscure some sort of a lurking danger as it did 10 years ago. With stock valuations as high as they've been in years, sell-offs like Wednesday's sell-off often are prompting questions about how precarious the market is. But actually, some reasons to believe that the fears are overstated, in my opinion, are number one, large banks and households, the epicenter of the 2008 crisis, have delevered. Really, I don't think we have anything but good news on the horizon. With a certified financial planner, you're not going to be wondering if you're going to meet your goals, your date for retirement, 
and pass your estate on as you desire, we can take that fear away from you. Call us tonight to ask your questions. Call us on the open lines, 919-860-9783. We're here for the next hour, 919-860-9783. And we'd also like to invite you to call us and let us know what are the questions that you have regarding your financial planning. Maybe you've got issues regarding your 401k. What choices should you be making within the 401k? Some folks still haven't signed up or, you know, to participate in the 401k. And maybe there are questions about why you should. Others have questions about their financial planning portfolio and whether or not uh, they should work with one advisor versus another. And others have had investment products sold to them or pitch to them and they want to know, should I purchase this investment or this annuity? What are your questions? Call us on the open line on Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680. Our number to call again is 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Linda, you know, we get a lot of questions on a weekly basis about something called target date funds. And because this is such a unknown or mystery to many people, even the ones who are participating in target date funds, I thought we might go over some things that you need to know about the target date funds and this retirement strategy. Yeah. When we began this radio program uh, in 1990, wasn't it? Yeah, 1990. 1990. You and Linda started. There were no target date funds. And yet now they've become uh, the set it, forget it investments, almost ubiquitous in 401k plans. And employers are using them as like a default choice for workers who neglected to pick an investment option for their accounts. And yet I think there's a big ignorance out there. Since they were first brought to the market, These assets have tripled in size, but if you're one of those passive target date fund investors, you'd be wise to get up to speed as you slide toward retirement. After all, once you clock out, then you're not bound to remain in the fund that your employer selected for you. And even though those funds all have the same purpose, funds with the same target retirement date can have widely varying notions of what constitutes a bullseye. The closer you are to needing your savings, the more crucial it is that these differences become to you. Yeah, nothing illustrates that point like the actual performance of target date funds when the market tanked in 2008. The 31 funds with the 2010 target date lost about 25%. Lost how much? 25%, a quarter of their value. But some had losses that were as great as 41%. Now, just imagine you're retiring right there in 2010, and all of a sudden, you've got a 41% drop. Right. And you need to know that because if you're going to go in, you're taking on a lot of risk. The real This real-life experience was a wake-up call for both investors and also the regulators. Right. Con- Congress sub- subsequently held hearings, and the SEC, that's the Securities and Exchange Commission, they... Uh, changed some of the rules 
to try and rein in some of these um, attributes about these target date funds that would require better disclosure. But there are still important differences amongst the funds that still exist. Yeah, what's true for all target date funds is that they invest in a mixture of stocks, bonds, and cash. And this mix of investments varies over time, starting out with what they feel is aggressive, stock-heavy allocations when investors are young and far from their target, usually some anticipated retirement date, and then becoming what's supposedly increasingly conservative as investors get older and closer to their goal. But Doug, how funds define conservative is inconsistent. Exposure to stocks, which is the main cause of volatility, it can range from 55% to 10% amongst funds that have reached their target date and are thus catering to those who are already retired or nearing retirement. Yeah, the explanation is that about 35% of target date funds expect to get you to retirement. The remaining 65% of those funds expect to help you get through retirement. And there's a big difference. Do you want a target amount of money at the time that you retire or all the way through retirement? That's called the glide path. Those just getting you to retirement assume that you're going to need the bulk of your assets right away so they become, quote, quote, more conservative, moving you into more bonds about five years before this target date. And those with a get-you-through-retirement approach move you into bonds far more slowly, often over the course of another decade or two. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us with your questions on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. And call us at Lewis Financial Management if you have questions about your financial planning. Our number to call is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Now, there's an ultra-conservative approach that some of these target date fund managers use. And this is when, for example, some of the funds allocations at the end. So let's say you had a 2020 target date. In 2020, some funds will make that allocation of stocks drop down to 10%. And the remaining amount, that 90%, is in cash. Yeah. And then on the other end, The other philosophy is a year after a fund reaches its target date, the portfolio starts shifting back into stocks. Within five years, then, it's going to rise to 32% stocks, and it's going to remain there throughout your retirement. Now, by contrast, there's still another type of way that these target date funds are uh, allocated, and that's when there's a large stock position at the target date, maybe 55% of the portfolio, and then over the next 20 years, the fund company will ratchet down to about 20% of stocks. Yeah, this whole matter of the target date funds, you could say, well, what are the the big giants doing? Okay. The two big giants of the industry's top players of mutual fund companies, they fall somewhere in the middle. Both of them have glide paths that would have the investors at about 50% in stocks at retirement. Both of them gradually move the assets into what they consider a more conservative mix over the next several years into bonds. 
At the point that the fund managers stopped making these age-related adjustments, about seven years after the target date, one of the biggies automatically shifts investors who remain with their target date fund into retirement income funds with only a slight allocation to stocks and the bulk of them in bonds. Well, so Doug, what's wrong with this advice? Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. Most investors need to understand what's wrong. And I would say what's really wrong, and I will preface my remarks by saying you should avoid all target date funds. I'll just say that right outright. You don't want to be in target date funds because there's a basic underlying assumption, which is class assumption. The assumption is that stocks are risky, bonds are safe. And that is a false assumption. I can remember after the big crash of 08, one of the bond funds, supposedly much safer than a stock fund, when the stock funds dropped as much as 40 and 50%, I remember a bond fund that dropped 84%. So the whole underlying assumption to target date funds is wrong. It's based on classes, one class stocks, another class cash, and another class bonds, and then they apply a ratio, how much of this class how much of this class, how much of this class, and then they apply that to years. Hmm. All right, so you're starting with the wrong set of assumptions. You can't bet on the class. That is going to be a recipe for disaster. Right, right. Well, then what's right? What is the right approach to choosing investments in your mutual and in your employer's uh, list of options? Yeah, let's use an analogy. For example, if all of a sudden... Uh, you're sick, and some doctor says you need an operation. You're not going to go and say, well, I'll, I just need to get an operation. That's all. I just need an operation. What kind of operation? Who's the operator? Who's the surgeon? We don't want to look at classes. <laughs> I'm right. serious. We don't want to look at classes. I like the analogy, You like Doug. the analogy? I think it's great. All right, yeah. I think most people don't even ask the question. Yeah, well, and, and if I'm going to be betting my money – On my retirement, I want to know who is the man or woman, the manager, who is picking these stocks Mm -hmm. or these bonds. That's right. Or whatever it is. So in my opinion, never bet on the class. You're actually in what you, what I would say is higher risk, much higher risk than any other approach. With a false sense of security. It's a false sense of security based on underlying assumptions which are wrong. But the right answer is... Use the active manager approach because then you can go ahead and you can look at how did this manager do last year, the year before, the year before, the year before. How did he do or she do in 2008? Right. You can't do that with a class. Right, right. And Doug, I would say that getting advice that is customized to your retirement needs, that's the key. The investment selection list of your 401k or your 403b will include more than target date funds. You need to choose investments that will be right for you based on your needs and all of your assets. Because most of the time, your 401k is rarely all that you and, you, and, you and your spouse own. Yeah, and that's where we come in. We will help you find the managers who actually have performed satisfactorily to you. 
we don't look at the class. We look at the managers, and then we explain to you these managers and why we recommend those managers to you, and then you have the right way to position your 401k or your non-401k. Well, Doug, let's take a call. Mary, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Hi. Um, We have a question about variable life insurance. Okay. Um, My husband and I are in our late 30s, and we're trying to do some planning here for college for two kids, one a year old and another one on the way. All right. And we're, um, we've got income in the low 100000 range and probably a, a net asset range of around 400000 And we have minimal life insurance right now, mm-hmm. just provided through an employer. So we were talking to a few folks, um, a couple folks here in town, and both of them have recommended variable life insurance as a way to provide um, more life insurance now and to save on a tax-deferred basis for college. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. Well, first of all, we need to be careful that we don't call a chicken a duck and we don't call a duck a chicken. You want to be very cognizant of what you're doing and why you're doing it and what it is that you're doing it with. Now, you have just said that your combined family income is $100,000. Um, in the low 100. About, uh, give me a number and I'll jot it down. 120000 All right. So we've got $120,000 of income mm-hmm. and you're both, uh, you're in your late 30s. Uh-huh. You're both employed, self-employed or working for solid uh, uh, companies? Working for other companies. Okay. Working for other. Any danger of loss of jobs? Um, not in the near term. Okay. And your children are how old? Um, one's almost two and another one's on the way. All right, two and one on the way. All right, now what do you have in the way of an investment portfolio now? What are your present investment assets? Forget your 401ks. Okay. Um, we're, we're extremely, we're very conservatively invested right now. We've got money sitting in, um, in some CDs. How much do you have in cash and CDs? Um, in cash and CDs together, we have over $100,000. Well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why are you doing that? Well, it's uh, we've been uh, thinking about buying a new house and have decided not to. So we oh, we, so you get I see. I so see. So we've decided that it's almost time to do something. It, it's time to do something. Right. So that's why. Okay. You know, like I said, we went and talked to a couple of folks about oh yeah, well, know, right. financial plans, and both of them have come back with variable life insurance. Yeah, well, they they pay a great commission, by the way. They they they're a real high commission ticket. But let's go on. All right, what else do you have? You know, so you have no investments so far out of that hundred. You, you, um, we have well, we have one hundred twenty thousand roughly in cash and CDs. We have another about um, forty to fifty thousand in several stocks, and. Then we have um, our, our real estate assets are um, worth um, a couple hundred thousand dollars. This is commercial real estate, no. not your residence. No, our residence. Our residence. Okay, that's not an investment either. Okay, yeah, that's not investment. No, that's a use asset. All right, well, my first observation, and remember I began by saying you don't want to call a chicken a duck or a duck a chicken. Right. All right, insurance pays off to somebody when you die. It's a transfer of risk. Okay. Your world is basically divided into two estates, a living estate and a death estate. Your living estate is your investment portfolio and what you accumulate yourself. Your death estate factors in that plus what's transferred by risk using insurance. Insurance, even by law. And by the way, it's very interesting. I don't know if any, if either of the insurance agents ever mentioned to you the investment potential of the 
uh, variable life insurance. It's interesting. It's against the law in North Carolina to call insurance an investment <laughs> because it's not. It is not an investment by any by any means. What uh-huh. you and an in, insurance policy is a policy which, if you die tomorrow, it pays somebody a lot bigger than what you gave as a premium. You need to do an educational needs analysis, number one, and then back into that and find out how much money needs to be set aside on a monthly basis to reach that va- that time that point at that time. And then number two, you want to go ahead and pick the funds according to the risk parameters whether you want balanced funds or growth and income funds, and you need to work in the world of investments to meet that need. For life insurance, you need to approach it the exact opposite. Do a needs analysis on life insurance. You may need no insurance. If you need no insurance, for sure, you shouldn't even be talking about insurance. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You can get a cheap 20-year level term policy for next to nothing if you're in your 30s that might cover you more than adequately until you can self-insure. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So I think you're getting several issues confused, and I have nothing against insurance. It's a, it's a wonderful vehicle for transferring risk and for supporting. And I had one client who died a week before last, and I was very happy that we had the insurance policy to go ahead and uh, take care of the widow with. On the other hand, very often we find there is zero need for insurance. But for college education, never use life insurance. Okay. Does, does that help, Mary? Yeah, that does. Mary, and probably what you'll want to do when you use, you know, a financial planner, uh, have them do an analysis based on whatever the value of your estate is to determine whether the insurance that you have through your employer is going to be enough to uh, meet the need of the family if one of you should predecease the other. Um, They're separate needs analyses, and exactly. you never make the duck walk like a chicken or the chicken walk like the duck. That's not what you should be doing. You shouldn't be confusing the two because they're not the same. I think you need financial planning, Mary. I think I think she does too. <laughs> you need to see a financial planner, not an insurance agent. Okay. I can send you some information if you'd like. If you'll just call me at the office at eight seven two seven thousand, eight seven two seven thousand. I might be able to, you know, send some brochures or some information that might get you on track. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for calling, Mary. Uh-huh. Okay. Bye bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Call us on the open line with your questions. That number to call is 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. I also forgot to mention to Mary that she should go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. And that will help her also. But, you know, I'm thinking this whole matter of there are two issues here that we're discussing at the same time. Number one, there's the issue of risk transfer. Right. The need for life insurance. Right. For example, it would be stupid for me to buy uh, automobile life insurance. I mean, automobile insurance if I didn't have a car. Right. If I was uh, like, I've got one client and he only rides a bicycle. He just, he rides his bicycle to work for 30 years now. He just ri- So to buy car insurance for him, there's no risk of what happens to his car. Could he have a car? Right. Okay. All right. So the first subject is risk transfer. Insurance by law is a product in which we transfer a risk that we're facing to an insurance company. So now we have to quantify that risk. What is that risk? And the risk in a situation like Mary's, a young couple, we want to find out, all right, if 
either one of them dies, then what is the what does it look like? In other words, the remaining income from the other one and the living expenses, what's the shortfall? Or if it's the husband that dies, for example, and if the wife has children, then maybe she won't be able to work or she wants to stop working, take care of her children. So we need to go ahead and start with what is the need and we need to quantify it. You don't just draw straws and say, oh, let's get this much. What is the need? Once you have the dollar amount of the need to support the surviving spouse under and the risk, children, all right, then you go ahead and say, how much of this need can be covered by my existing investments? Right. And then what is still uncovered, that's the risk. Right. And I got to cover that risk. So how do I cover that risk? I then get insurance to cover that risk until when? Until there's no more risk. Right. If the investments are big enough to cover that risk, then I don't need insurance. That's what people mean by the phrase, I'm able to then self-insure. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So So the the risk does go away. It's to cover it until it goes away. Absolutely. Now we come to the the second question. What kind of insurance should I be getting to cover that risk? And the short answer is the cheapest thing possible. Right. We're not expecting this to go to, to, we're not expecting to own this risk for the rest of our lives. And yet life insurance that you would own for the rest of your life is often described as if this investment would be something uh, that would be made through the insurance. Yeah. Let's go more slowly though. Let's go more slowly. All right. What you said is absolutely right when you said we're not expecting we're not expecting even to to have this risk occur. Right. I'm not expecting that my wife is going to die if I'm buying insurance. I'm covering a risk for something that I think won't happen, but if it does happen. So I'm hoping that this money that I give to the insurance company to cover this risk, I'm hoping they get to keep it and I never go ahead and need it. Right. I'm hope to throw it away. Exactly. That's what we do with car insurance. That's what we do with insurance on our home when we think our home might burn down. All those types of needs we expect. So therefore, if the insurance company will cover me, I want the cheapest dollar amount for them to cover that risk. Got it. So now we come to the question, well, well what is this other thing called variable life insurance or whole life insurance or any other kind of life insurance, those are the more expensive insurances. They are they there's a sales pitch there. And the sales pitch is, oh, well you're building up money in a cash account that you can borrow out. Or you're putting money into an investment portfolio of mutual funds that you can go ahead and get back out again. I'll borrow from yeah, myself. Yeah. The whole story is full of false assumptions and it's a heavy sales pitch. You've now made the chicken become a duck. You've now made this insurance policy, which is designed to transfer risk into something that it's not meant for. So what happens if you borrow from yourself? That means the death benefit is going to be less. The right? death benefit is less. And why did you even do it? If you if you wanted to go ahead and use it for your retirement portfolio, buy investments. Don't pay double for all of the things that are in it. And that's the confusion that's out there. Life insurance is to cover risk. Investments for retirement are for retirement and are investments. And you shouldn't try to mix the two because it's uh, 
it's 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 a losing game. You know, I was speaking to a couple the other day, and they said, uh, you know, they really need financial planning. But along the drive, the you know, the question came up, and and he said, we we've got a million dollars on each each of us. And I said, well, which one of you has the higher income? And it was the husband, of course. And uh, he's already retired, but he's got another business that he's doing. He's self-employed. His wife works with him part-time, but she's also a real estate agent. And, but it is important, isn't it, to do a needs analysis to see what are the debts? What is the income? If your husband died, and you lost that income, how would you replace it? So th- there is the need. And so for those of you that may be listening to the show this evening, think about that. Have you visited and revisited how much life insurance you have? And what is your need? And what is your total need? Maybe you need comprehensive financial planning. We can help you at Lewis Financial Management. Call us during the week, our number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we have answers for you. And if you have questions about your financial planning, call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of cash flow planning and retirement planning. Well, you know, Doug and Linda, there was a uh, an enjoyable article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, and they were talking about the, the spending and it's slowing down as doubts grow. And we know this from reality in our own office. You know, retirement experts have been puzzling over a phenomenon where Americans in their 60s and 70s start to spend less just as many can afford to start enjoying their life savings. Yeah. You know, this this study sheds light on one possible reason of why that is true. As people age, they become more pessimistic about the stock market, about the economy, and about their own finances. And this psychological change can lead retirees to cut spending and plow most of their money into safe but low-yielding bonds, whether or not such decisions make economic sense. When it comes to finances, our ability to reliably anticipate the future weakens as we age. For the many Americans who haven't saved enough for retirement, this tendency towards frugality is not a bad thing at all. But for those who have saved diligently, they're not enjoying retirement in the way they should. That's really true. The study released this past week examined responses to uh, surveys of consumers from 1978 to 2014. And the study found that in 2014, in comparison to people under 35, adults that were over 64 were 30 to 40% less optimistic about their future financial health and the U.S. economy and the stock market. The study also found that people spend less as they age, about 2%, 2. 2.5% less as they, uh, on average, in each successive year between the ages of 60 and 70, and by a greater percentage in later years. Pessimism about money is closely related to risk aversion, which also rises with age. 
We have known for a long time that people become more risk averse as they age and for good reason. They are progressively less able to earn an income from a job to cover unexpected expenses, which creates anxiety. Still, there is evidence that retirees can be overly pessimistic. Yeah. People who have more than they need often find it hard to break the frugality habits that made them successful savers. I'm just successful savers. You know, I'm just thinking of a client that we met with just the other day in our office, longtime client of ours, you know, uh, and they, uh, they have, they're financially independent. They have a very nice, large portfolio. And they were talking about, uh, the trip that, uh, uh, the wife had taken to Portugal and how miserable was the seating arrangement flying all the way back. And my answer to her was, well, why in the Dickens did you not fly first class? And I'll, I, her answer was, I have a really hard time thinking about Spending that. money. Yeah. And, and, I, and I said, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, what is it all accumulated for? You need to fly first class. You need to get the best of the best. This is what it's all for. You don't go ahead when you were, it was very good while you were accumulating, but now you made it. (laughs) That's right. And that's right. And that's because at some point you look at your balance and you say, what am I doing? There is no way I'm going to be able to spend all this money. And it's almost then that they sort of look at us and they look for permission to start spending on themselves. <laughs> I think this is probably one of the most enjoyable parts of our practice at Lewis Financial Management. Many of our long-term clients are always joking how that's all Doug and Deborah are telling us to do. Spend more money. Enjoy. Take more cruises. Do more things. And why is that? Because we're watching. Because that's what they're paying us for. Not only to look at their investments and to handle their investment portfolio, but to look at... Uh, at where they stand, are they ever at risk of running out or of going down? And when we can give them the assurance that you're fine, then we want them to enjoy. That's right. It's, I think it's that assurance that makes people feel confident that they have lived long enough to absolutely take care of that risk. And, you know, it's just a, it is so wonderful to see so many of our clients over these, I can say now, decades, that some have been our clients and even some of the new ones that over the last 10 years, because uh, they finally addressed financial planning in their world. And now they're more comfortable because their portfolios are balanced and they've accumulated and things are growing and they can have fun along the way. You right? know, Linda, isn't that what we call middle-class millionaires? Definitely. Yeah, they've had middle-class values all through their working lives, and now they've reached the point to where they have accumulated well over a million dollars of investment assets, and yet they still cling to these middle-class values. We've got to tell, help them break those habits. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> you know, they don't have to drive the Lexus or the BMW. They're dry, but they can afford it. They can afford you. Why not buy it? (laughs) But the thing is, the comfort is that along the way, they're having fun. And, you know, and you need to along the way, make sure that you're taking those, those vacation trips or those beach trips because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if one of you is going to get cancer or have some terminal illness, right? So, Call us at Lewis Financial Management if you've got questions about your financial planning. That's what we do every day of the year. 
comprehensive financial planning. We can help people like you. 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And I do believe we have a caller. Pat, how can I help you? Yes, uh, I hold a mortgage on my child's home. Okay. And now, when you say you hold the mortgage, you are the lender. Yes. Okay. And um, I was—I'm interested now in making out a will. And at the time of my, when my husband and I die, uh-huh. I would like that mortgage to be forgive, forgiven, not mm-hmm. to be included in. Inheritance, any balance? Uh huh. Do you understand what I mean? Right. And uh, I would like to know how to go about doing that. I have no idea how. Let me ask you a question first of all. How many children do you have, Pat? Two. You have two children. Yeah. All right. And how are you leaving your estate? Who are the? How, how does your will read right now? We don't have one right now. Ooh, bad, bad <laughs> news. That's why I'm trying to set one up. Right Very good girl. That's a naughty, naughty, naughty. We should not be around walking around with no, no wills today. Okay? Especially, and you're very right, because right now, the laws of intestacy. Now, I presume, you, you said we, so I presume you're married? Yes. Okay. Right now, the laws of intestacy would go ahead and govern your estate if you died. But the first question comes, how much do you own versus how much do your husband own? Do you want it all to go to your husband and then to your children and so forth? If you die... Do you want the mortgage to continue to be paid to your husband? Yes. All right. So you don't mean at your death. You mean at your husband and your death. Right. Okay. You need to go ahead and set up. First of all, you have to have a will. Right. Second of all, you do want to go ahead. What's the value of your estate, by the way? That's Combined estate. Yeah. It's over 500000 Including life insurance. Yes. Okay. The what you want to do first of all is you want to go ahead and have approximately half of your estate, half of your assets in your name and half in his name, and then it's all right to do an "I love you" will. If the, if your estate was higher, I would say it's not all right. But an "I love you" will is going to leave everything to your husband, and he can do an "I love you" will, and that'll leave everything to y'all. I mean, to he, he can leave an "I love you" will that leaves everything to you. And then afterwards, you write in the will that if your husband or if your spouse, and he does the same, has predeceased you, then you do want uh, any mortgage debts that you have. And you can be very specific. You can specify that it be forgiven. If you don't, you're right. The value of that will come back, and half of that will go to your one of your children. If that's, I presume that after your death, you want your estate to split, be split between the two kids equally? Okay, uh, you could if you don't have it forgiven, then half of the amount that's still owing would go to your son, and the other half would automatically be forgiven. Right. So you you can just simply write it into the will, or have the attorney write it into the will, uh, but you do want to make sure that it's done properly. Well, now the the mortgage is registered at the county, you know, just like a bank mortgage would be. Mm-hmm. The paperwork is. Uh-huh. So what, how do they, at the time that my husband and I both die, do they take the will down there and say, okay, can we have the deed to our home now? Yes. In other words, it would be, it, it, they, they would have to go through the process of having 
uh, having a clear deed of title. Right. And according to the provisions of the will, that's what a real estate attorney would be able to do for you at that time. I see. Because he would basically be marked uh, paid in full. I see. You see what I mean? But there's, then there's no taxes on that forgiveness. Is that correct? Well, income taxes. State tax. All right, let's think it through now. If they have a debt forgiveness at that time. You know, that's an interesting question, Pat. Forgiveness of debt is considered income on your income tax return. On the estate, no, there's nothing. I... But, but at, uh, at the time that debt is forgiven, you report income. Hmm. That's an intriguing one. I don't know a way to get around the income tax consequences. In other words, how much is the mortgage right now? Right now, it's forty-three thousand. Forty-three thousand. Uh, you're going to die next year. I hope not. <laughs> okay. Well, if you you know you live five or ten years, it's going to be a smaller and smaller issue. Uh, you'd also want to set it up, by the way, to where it would be a. In other words, if you died tomorrow, both of y'all were you know God forbid killed in a car crash mm-hmm. tomorrow then I believe that they would have to report, if you had debt forgiveness there, $43,000 of income on their income tax return. Mm-hmm. I would have to do a little research to find out if there's a way you can get around that. That's, that's the uh, part that... There would not be an estate tax issue. There would not? No. Okay. No. And it may be, if you call me at my office, I will put you in touch with an estate attorney that can research that for us. Do you have my office number? No, I don't. 872-7000. 872-7000. That's a very interesting question you're asking. It's the interaction between estate tax laws, income tax laws, and forgiveness of debt. And it's a very interesting question. It really intrigues me. If you'll call me at my office, I'll see about putting you in touch with an estate attorney, or I'll meet with you myself, and we'll see if we can go ahead and solve that one. All right. Okay, thank you for calling, Pat. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and if you've got a question, we'd love to hear about it. Call us at 680-WPTF at 860-9783. If you're out of town, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you're in your car, star 680. Well, Doug, Deborah, um, that was an interesting question, and... Pat and her husband certainly need an estate plan. And if you have questions about your estate planning, call us at Lewis Financial Management and we can assist you. Yeah, before we go to the next topic, Linda, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up that way because not many people understand that in our financial planning that we do at Lewis Financial Management, for every one of our clients that becomes a financial planning client, we include without extra charge a complete estate plan. Our estate plan will be not only an analysis, it will be recommendations of what kind of trusts you need or don't need, and it will be a detailed estate plan so that the attorney who does the documents, it's all ready for him. It's all been done. So we include estate planning as a major part of what we do at Lewis Financial Management. Well, you know, that's interesting because we often forget to highlight for maybe listeners who are listening for the first time that comprehensive financial planning is going to provide analysis in uh, all of these key areas that we keep talking about. Yes, we talk about investments, but there's cash flow planning analysis, tax planning analysis, 
insurance needs analysis, investment analysis, retirement planning analysis. You know, can you retire? What's your financial independence feasibility? And just like Doug mentioned, estate planning analysis. All right. What is new? What else is new in investment planning? Well, you know, there are hidden dangers in index funds. You probably know that index funds are hugely popular. Investors have been pouring money into low-cost, passively managed mutual funds, as well as into exchange-traded funds, which are typically also unmanaged for the past decade. Yeah, but this headlong rush into index funds may mean that some investors are overlooking some of the risks that come with a strategy of merely seeking to match some sort of market barometer, market index. So I guess it would be good to consider what hidden dangers are lurking inside of your index fund. Well, first, they aren't as static as you think, and that can lead to higher transaction costs. Indexes are constructed and then left alone for the most part, right? No. Okay. Even the S&P 500, which is weighted by market value and is not rebalanced, undergoes 20 to 25 changes in an average year as companies are added to and removed from the index. So the problem with turnover, of course, is going to be higher transaction costs. So, Doug... They buy high. That's the second risk. They buy high. That's exactly right. This applies more to funds that track the traditional indexes like the S&P 500, which is oriented toward large companies, or maybe the Russell 2000 index, which tracks small company stocks. When an announcement is made that a new company is going to be added to the index, then its stock price typically jumps about 10%, which means that demand is driving the prices higher, and so you're buying higher. You're being forced to buy high. That's the second risk. Another risk is they can hold different stocks than their names suggest. For example, a fund might sound as if it holds only home-building stocks, but actually less than one-third of its assets could be in real builders. It might also hold stocks in appliance makers, such as a Whirlpool and furnishing retailers and personal product makers. So this fund that you might think, just because of its name, it could hold a lot of other stocks. Now, another risk is that they can switch indexes when they want to. Yeah, that's true, Linda. A fund won't change its index without informing the shareholders, but switching benchmarks does happen. For example, in 2012, Vanguard changed the underlying benchmark for 22 of its index funds. Why is this important to know, Doug? Well, an index change is going to result in different holdings. By dropping an MCSI benchmark in favor of the Emerging Market Stock Index, which is what happened with Vanguard, South Korean stocks were dropped from the portfolio because they considered South Korea to be a developing country a developed country rather than an emerging markets country. And so right away, we've got a whole different risk profile. Right. So this illusion that, oh, I'm in an index fund. I can just sit back and know that everything is going to be very easy, low transactions. Everything is going to sound exactly as it is. It's being exposed. That's right. And there's an even bigger risk we haven't touched yet. What's that, Doug? 
Well, I guess that's the risk of the diversification. They may not shelter us from a bubble because of the way traditional indexes are structured. The bigger the company, the bigger its weight in the benchmark relative to other stocks. They can leave you more vulnerable to bubbles, which inevitably burst. And that's what we saw in 2008. We saw some of the index funds dropping from the high to the low of almost 50%. That was when a client once called and said, my 401k just became a 201k. What happened here? (laughs) But you know, I want to end our little discussion on index funds by saying, if at all costs, avoid them. Don't go there. There's another way to do so. Consider active management instead of passive management. Passive management is just buying an index and riding on the, the wave of the, of the market. But you're just waiting for that bubble. You're waiting for that thing to happen. Whereas active management is where you're looking for managers who, d- who are attempting to beat the index. And then you can test these managers and see, how did you do? Did you beat the index last year? Did you beat the index the year before? Did you beat the index year after year? How did you do in 2008? So look for those active managers that can consistently beat the index and you have a much more uh, logical way to structure your investment portfolio So just like we said earlier in the show, we don't like target date funds. We don't like index funds at Lewis Financial Management. We can show you a much better way to do it, much safer and usually cheaper to you in the long run. That's right. I mean, the overall goal here is to customize everything to your investment needs, your retirement needs. And much of that in the world of retirement planning is not letting the market volatility wreck your investment portfolio. How much risk are you willing to take? A close look at your investments could reveal you're risking a lot more than you think. Yeah, we're always amazed at the number of new clients who come in not knowing how much of their portfolio is at risk. Time and again, we'll find that people never made the switch from the accumulation phase of their investment cycle to the preservation phase that is so important when you're in retirement. And they're taking a lot more risk than they realize and much more than they actually want or never made in any of the investment choices themselves or with understanding what they got into. So one of the first things that we'll do is perform a risk assessment on your current holdings. That is so important, isn't it? Once they get over the shock, they're ready to learn about volatility and what it can do to their portfolios, specifically in retirement. When they're depending on those investments for income, that's why it is, Linda. It's so important. That's when market risk represent the potential loss of funds, which can have an impact on the retirement lifestyle that dreamed that they dreamed of for years. Do you have questions about your financial planning? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. You know, Debs, volatility isn't as much a concern during those accumulation years. So if you're listening and you're 35 and the market takes a tumble, you've got plenty of time, decades in fact, to recover before you get ready to retire. But when you're actually in retirement, volatility definitely becomes a significant concern. 
a major reason for that concern, of course, is you no longer have all those years of potential recovery time ahead of you to counteract anything that goes amiss. If the market takes a deep dip, you have less chance of recovering, and that may mean you'll need to change your spending habits and how much you're withdrawing from your accounts to live on. Well, some people might argue that volatility also involves some big gains in the market to counter those big losses. Won't it all even out in the end? Not necessarily. If you have 100000 invested and take a 30% loss one year, like in 2008, a 30% gain the next year won't even get you back to square one. The 30% loss dropped you to 70000 so you went from 100000 to 70000 That 30% gain brought you to 91000 You're still 9000 below where you started. And this is what we talk about when we talk about if you lose money the first year in retirement, this could be a devastating uh, event. So another factor comes into play when you're already retired. At that point, you also may be withdrawing money from some of your accounts to handle your daily living expenses and to enjoy your retirement. So a big drop in a volatile market like that uh, 30% of the 2008 drop combined with your withdrawals makes it even more difficult to keep things steady on the financial side, and it can be devastating. It may be time to take a real hard look at the amount of risk you have in your portfolio by having Lewis Financial Management do a risk analysis for you and determine whether you're taking too much risk or are you being too conservative or are you playing it just about right? The result could be eye-opening and It also could provide much-needed information that will help you make better investment choices going forward. So this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call me this week. Let's sit down and discuss your situation. I'd love to hear from you. It's 919-872-7000. You can set up a face-to-face appointment Our number is 919-872-7000. And of course, don't forget our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Visit our website. And those new clients that come to us this next week, we will still be giving one of three books, either a copy of The Wealthy Barber, a copy of Middle Class Millionaire, or a copy of Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Well, this has been... A wonderful show, and I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Yeah, we've had a good talk tonight. We've covered recap the uh, target date funds. We've ta- covered asset allocation, the risks of index funds, the slowdown in spending during retirement, market volatility in retirement. So we've enjoyed talking about these matters to you. Remember that you can also go online and get our show. You can listen to our podcast at WPTF.com. And you can also join us next Saturday at 6 p.m. as well as Sunday PTM on News Radio 680 WPTF. But always remember 
Your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF.